Now I want to continue and get back to the Word of God. And as you know, every Sunday I get so excited to get back to the Word of God. And today I want to continue with our preaching that we've been doing, walking through the Gospel of Mark. But I want to take a little bit of a detour here and and go back into the Gospel of John. In fact, we have been following Jesus through Mark and he's currently in Jerusalem as you've been following over the last few weeks. And he's living in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And this is an interesting place because there's a lot of things that happened at Bethany. You would recall that back in the day or a few chapters before, that this is the place where Lazarus lives with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus died. And this is the place where Jesus came and he he actually called Lazarus out of death into life. So he returns back to this place. Now, although we are following Christ through the Gospel of Mark, there is a lot of things that happen that Mark not necessarily writes, writes about. Things like when Mary, for instance, comes and she had very, very expensive oil and she broke the oil and she anointed Jesus' feet six days before the Passover. Now, this was very strange for everybody for her to do that. And they said, why did she do that? Why couldn't she sell that and use the money for orphans or for widows and so on? But Jesus said to them these words. He said that she is actually signifying his death that's coming and she's anointing that death. So this happened in the same time that we find ourselves now as well. Then right after that, there is a plot to kill Lazarus from the scribes and from the Jews. Because they they couldn't handle this man. They couldn't handle this man who is the evidence of Jesus raising somebody from the death. Now, at this point in time as well, Jesus goes back to Jerusalem. And then he arranges for the last meal or the last supper as it's called. And this happens during this time as well. You would have heard me over the last few weeks preach about the cleansing of the temple about Jesus walking past the fig tree who didn't have fruit. And then he said, you will have no fruit for anybody to eat again. And then it dried up from the roots upwards. So all of these is happening at the same time. So now we follow Jesus and he goes up into the upper room where they are preparing the the Passover meal, which is now called the Last Supper. Because it's the last time that Jesus would sit down with his disciples and have this meal before he would obviously go to the cross and die. We find him there where he sits around with his disciples and he starts washing their feet. He take, put on the, the apron of a slave, of a servant, and he starts washing their feet. He comes to Peter and Peter says, no Lord, not my feet. Um, you know, I should wash your feet. And Jesus said to him, that, um, you know, if, if his feet's not washed, he's, he's got nothing in him. And then Jesus said, not only my feet, but my whole body. And Jesus then said, no, you're washed already. And that's what the word of God does to us. It washes us daily. It is at that supper that Jesus also pointed out his betrayal and the man who was going to betray him. You remember when he said, the man who will put his hand with me in and dip his bread and um, that's the one who would betray me. And Judas Iscariot's doing that. And he then, the devil, he came into him and he left the room. So all of this is happening in this final night, in this final teaching that Jesus gives his disciples. This makes for one of the most popular teachings and one of my most favorite teachings of Jesus. And that goes from John chapter 13, the end of that chapter, where Jesus then starts giving them final instructions. And I highly recommend you go in there and you read from John chapter 13 all the way up to John chapter 17. And you will find so much instructions from Jesus the night before he died. After this meal, after he prays the high priestly prayer there in John chapter 17, he prays a prayer for himself, for his disciples, and then into the future for you and me. John chapter 17, a fascinating chapter. But right after that, he would then get up, walk over the brook of Kidron into Gethsemane. 
and there he will pray. He will say, Lord, take this cup away from me, but let your will be done. And, and the Bible says that he prayed with such intensity that his sweat became like drops of blood. Very fascinating passage. This is where we find ourselves. Let it not be going past you to understand the circumstances and the context of where we find ourselves. Now, it is at this teaching, this final instructions, that I want to talk to you about words that Jesus used. And in particularly, these words. When Jesus said, but you know him. But you know him. And this he spake. Or he spoke about the Holy Spirit. In fact, the theme for today is, how do you know the Holy Spirit? That's what I want to talk to you about. How do you know the Holy Spirit? If somebody comes to you and they say to you, how do you know the Holy Spirit? What's your answer going to be? So we go to John chapter 14 and we start from verse 15 as we unpack this question and we see and, and, and understand what Jesus asked. So John chapter 14 verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples in that room at the last supper meal and through the ages of time to you and me listening to my voice today. Through my voice, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you the words of Jesus. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. And I, look, I absolutely love the gospel of John. When I got saved, when the Lord saved my soul, this is the first gospel that I read. So it resonates with me. It's imprinted in my heart and in my mind and in my soul. He says, if you love me, if you say that you love God, keep my commandments. Now the commandments is only found in the Bible alone. I, I, I emphasize that. If you open up your Bible, that's the commandments. And it runs right through from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Yes, you're right. We still work out of the Old Testament. The law is not being abolished and done away with. It's been fulfilled in Christ. There is a different, and again, maybe I'll return and preach a message on, on that particular fact. But here is the thing. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, if I say to you today that the commandments is in the Bible, this doesn't just mean that you buy a Bible and you keep it in your house and you say, well, I am doing it. I'm actually keeping the commandments. Look, it's in my drawer. I lock it away so that the little children don't write in it with their pens or, you know, try to draw some pictures or color it or tear the pages by the way, this preacher's Bible has been written a lot of times by little children and pages torn. It's because it's a, it's a using book. It's not a lock away book. That's not what he meant by keep his commandments. When he says keep commandments here, the idea is to obey them, to do what they've actually say. Now, when we continue reading on now and we find the last instructions of Jesus in this last night, we come now to one of the most beautiful promises that Jesus actually gave his disciples and us. The most beautiful promises. Remember last week when I preached and I said, have faith in God. Why do we have faith in God? We have faith because of God's promises. And this is one of those promises that we can have faith in God for and with. Now let me read to you the promise. Jesus says in John chapter 14, 16, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. What does the word forever mean? Well, it means forever. Verse 17, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Now, here is the words that I want to preach on today. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What a beautiful pr promise from Jesus. Now, it is so intimate to me, this passage that we just read. And you need to, you need to understand the passion with what Jesus said to his disciples. He knew where he was going. 
He knew that he was going to die. And he knew that they were going to stay behind. And in a way, one can say they're going to face it when Jesus is gone. But he says to them, I promise you. He doesn't use the words, but it is a promise from him that he will not leave them orphans. Now, what will happen? An orphan is when a parent is gone. One or both parents is gone. Or well, in fact, both parents are gone. Then you're an orphan. And here he says, this is not going to happen when I go. And then he prays one of the most intimate prayers that you can ever find in the Bible. He says, I will pray the Father. I'm not going to leave this over to anybody else. I care so much for you that I'm going to pray on your behalf to the Father to do something very special. Not only to those disciples, but to you and to me as well. He prays this prayer, which I find absolutely fascinating. Now, what is he praying for? He's praying for a helper. In the New King James Version, it says a helper. In the King James Version, they use the translation comforter. It's the same thing. A helper is a comforter. But the Greek word that they use here for helper, and you've heard me preach about this before. I'll just repeat it for those who don't know. The Greek word here, used here for helper is parakletos. It is the Greek word which is made out of two words, parakletos. Para means to come alongside you. And kletos means that I will render all of my help and strength and support and everything that I've got to you, to help you. I want you to see the picture of somebody walk, walking next to a frail person and he upholds that person with his strength, with his power, and he guides that person along. I want you to see that picture in your mind because this is literally what it is. It means, para, I'm coming alongside you. I've got more power than you. I've got more strength than you. I, I, I've got everything that you need, in fact, and I'm going to help you along. It's not going to overtake you. I'm going to help you along. We find very interesting English words that come from this Greek word. Parachute. You know, when you jump out of a, an airplane, you fall with a massive speed to the ground. What do you do? You pull that little lever and a parachute opens up. What is parachute? It's para. It will come alongside you, this big piece of fabric. And what will it do? It will soften you blow when you go down to the earth. It will render, it will catch in underneath it all of the wind, which you can't do with your body. So all of the capabilities, the characteristics of the suit will assist you not to fall to death when you fall onto the ground. That's a parachute. Think about paramedic. It's another word we use so often. What happens with a paramedic? You're really critically injured. Then a person will come alongside you and they will render to you every single knowledge they've got. They've been taught how to sprain an ankle, how to help with a heart attack, how to help with every kind of thing. And they will assist and render that to you to help you along. That is the word. It's a massive word. Now think in a spiritual sense. He says, I will pray the Father and He will give you this parakletos. This is not a paramedic or parachute. This is the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus said, He's a helper. He will come alongside us. And then he says something beautiful. He says that he will stay with us and abide with us forever. I can talk for long and I'm just aware of time, but I'm, I'm just overflowing with words coming in now. Even the word abide that he says there, we need to understand what it means. If he says abide and then he uses the word forever, those two words match together. Abide means to come and make habitation. Abide means that, you know, I'm sitting here in my office and I saw over the last week little birds coming up and building a nest in a tree right outside my window. What are they doing? They are building a dwelling place. It takes effort. But what does it mean when they finish the dwelling place? It means that they're going to come and spend time in that dwelling place. I see the birds now they've finished building the nest. Maybe they're going to have eggs and, you know, sit on the eggs. 
but I can see them now coming on a daily basis into the tree, rest for the night. That's their dwelling place. That's where they abide. Here, the scripture says that the Father will send the Paracletus to abide, to have a, a habitation, a dwelling place within us, with you forever. This is so wonderful. Now, the question here then is, if you look at the scripture verse, who is this helper then? Who is this comforter? Who is this paracletos? And Jesus answers it himself. In John chapter 14 verse 26, he says, but the helper, the paracletos. And again, friends, sorry, I I'm, I'm just want to let you know, you need to read it. Go and read the whole passage in context and listen to this message again. Because I'm just taking verses out. John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, comma, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So when we look at this verse 16 here, and he talks about the Paracletos, we know now it is the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus also in verse 17 says that it is called the Spirit of Truth. If it's your Bible, underline it. Or make a mental note. Say to yourself, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. Never forget this. It's going to be important as you listen further into this message. The Holy Spirit, by Jesus' own words, is the Spirit of Truth. Now look at this now. This is fascinating. He says there also, Jesus, He says, The world cannot receive Him. So this makes an instinction here. It, it's only one group of people who can receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says outright, the world cannot receive him. Now he doesn't talk about the trees and, you know, the sea and the stars. No, <clears throat> when he talks of the word, and again, there's another word. It is the cosmos. It's the human beings. The worldly people here cannot receive him. And the question is then, why? Why can't the world receive the Holy Spirit? Why can't the world receive this, this power or this God, uh, because we're going to see that He is God, to come alongside them and to help them? While it is straightforward in the Bible, it is because the world loves the lie. And we can see it in our world today. It's becoming more evident. The world loves the lie. The world never loves the truth. In fact, the world will lie the truth away, if that makes sense. Psalm 52 verse 3, you love evil more than good, lying than speaking righteousness. This is why the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. If somebody in the world living like the world, never been saved by God, proclaim to have the Holy Spirit, they are but deceived and they are lying. Because Jesus said it himself, they cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Not only do they lie, but they walk in darkness. The world walk in darkness. And if you walk in darkness, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It's once Jesus saves you out of that darkness. And he, because Jesus, the Bible says Jesus is light. And in the light is, is the life. It's eternal life. And once that life shines into your darkened heart and He illum illuminates you, He lightens you up, then what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and abides in you. But once you walk in darkness and continue in darkness, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It's so clear and evident. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. The same John who wrote the words of Jesus says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, in other words, if we say that we have the Holy Spirit in us, if we say that we have fellowship with Jesus and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now remember, what is the Holy Spirit? Jesus said it himself. You can hear me repeat it so many times. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. John says, if you walk in darkness, but you proclaim to be a Christian, you proclaim to be a child of God, but you keep on walking in darkness, then you do not practice truth. In other words, you can't know the Holy Spirit because He's not living in you if you continue with walking like this. Now, Jesus says it like this. He says, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. This is why the world can't receive the Holy Spirit. They can't see him. They don't want to see him, frankly, because they are too busy with worldly things. And if you grope around in darkness, you won't see the Holy Spirit because it's not there. And, and secondly, he says, because they don't know him. So there is something here that Jesus says that we need to do. We need to know the Holy Spirit. Come back to my question. Do you know him? Come back to the theme. How shall we know? How do you know the Holy Spirit? And this is important to know. Because he says here that the world don't know him. In short then, the world cannot understand or receive the Spirit of God because it's holy and it's true. That's why the world can't receive the Holy Spirit or can know him. Now, Jesus says these words. He says, but, sharp contrast, you know him. My question always when I read this or preach this is to ask the question is, do you know him? For he dwells in you and will be in you and I will not leave you orphans, he said. But the question is, yeah, how do you know the Holy Spirit? That would be a very good question to ask. And I've heard over the years so many people give so many different answers to this question. Some people say, well, you know that you know. You know that you know that you know. Uh, you know that you know that you know that you know. And I don't know how many knows you can add on to that. But there's no substance to that. I understand. There is a word for this no which they don't use that I'm looking for. There's a specific word. It's not only no. And that's what I'm looking for. That you know that you know him. He's, uh, some people say, you know, it's just a feeling that comes over me. A feeling. That feeling that I get, uh, I've heard one man say, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes over me, I always know it because the hair in my neck raises up, in my neck raises up. And another man says, man, I'm getting spins and needles. And that's when I know that, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is operating and I know him. And again, you know, where is the physical evidence of that? How, how can you put that, explain that to somebody? Then somebody says, well, I know that I know. And some people say, well, you know, I speak in tongues and that's why I know that I know him. And, you know, I can actually debunk that whole matter for you if you want to. Is it just because you're speaking in tongues or is there more to it? Did Jesus just point when he said to them, but you know him, did he just point to them that you should speak in tongues? But, you know, the problem is then, how do they know? How can they tell that? So you see, it's much complicated than just throwing a word into, into that. And then some people will say, well, the Bible says so, and that's, that's fine for me. But when I ask and say, where in the Bible, and what does the Bible say about that? Well, it just says it in the Bible. So this is a very open question then to ask people, how do you know the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus says, but you know him. So it's good to ask the question. The first thing you need to then understand to know the Holy Spirit is who the Holy Spirit is. I think that's a very good first start place, starting point. Now, let me also say, you know, preaching about the Holy Spirit is not just only a 45 minute to an hour message. We can have a whole, you know, preaching theme about the Holy Spirit and preach for many a months and many a years about the Holy Spirit. The aim is not now to do that, but just to give you a few highlights to know who the Holy Spirit is. It's a good question. Some people believe the Holy Spirit is just a wind. <sighs> just a wind that's blowing. Um, some people ignore the Holy Spirit. They say, no, it's just a spirit. It's only uh, Jesus only. You know, Jesus was the Father. Jesus was the Son and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. No, it's not. Um, some people say, you know, um, it's only God the Father and the Son and the Spirit, you know, that's just an operating, uh, uh, like it says, Spirit. So is it true? I want to say no. The evidence is in the Bible that He is God. You've heard me right. The Holy Spirit is God. He's part of what we call the triune God or the Trinity. Now, you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. I get that. But you find passages in the Bible which points towards a triune God. Tri means three, part God. 
Now, it's not three parts of God. These are individual, separate persons of God. Okay, so we find it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Go therefore and make disciples to all the nations, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. He is like the Father and like the Son, a divine person. And that's what you need to understand. Not only understand, you need to go into the Bible and study it and read about it. You want to know the Holy Spirit, don't you? The first place to start is to start reading your Bible about the Holy Spirit. The same way that you've studied Jesus, the same way that you want to study God the Father, the same way you need to study the Holy Spirit as a person. Now, a person has got a mind. You know, a wind hasn't got a mind. But a person has got a mind. And there's so many scripture evidences in the Bible about the Holy Spirit who's got a mind, who, who thinks. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 is one of those who says that he searches the hearts of men and, you know, the, the knowledge of God, the deep things of God. He searches that, the mind. You've got to have a mind to search that. Plenty of scriptures in that. Go and study that. A person also, if you want to say he's a person, has got emotions. Uh, a wind hasn't got emotions. I mean, if you see the wind blow as it can blow sometimes down here in Victoria, I can't see any emotions in the wind. Well, you might say, well, it's howling around the, the corners of, of buildings and that's a crying sound. Well, that's just you making it up. That's not what it is. Okay, that's just the sound. If you take the walls away, the sound goes away. No, no. Emotions is something that we express ourselves in and we have. And the Holy Spirit's got them. The Bible's full of those. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, if you haven't got emotions, you can't be grieved. But the Holy Spirit has got emotions. That makes him a person. And not only that, he's also got a will. That makes a, a, something a person. So, so it is the mind, the, the uh, emotions, and the will. And we find there's so many plenty scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Um, he learned that he decide whom he will give gifts. This is the Holy Spirit. You remember when we read about the gifts of the Spirit. He decides who he wants to give them to. He's, he's got his own will. This makes him a person. So now we understand something more about the Holy Spirit. I find it amazing that people say, yes, I know the Holy Spirit because a feeling comes over me. But if you ask them, who is the Holy Spirit? They can't tell you because they've never studied Him. So all the attributes of the Father and all the attributes that the Son has got, the Holy Spirit's got as well. So He's the third person in the Godhead. You need to understand that and you need to absolutely believe that with everything. And that will bring you to the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. But these things that I'm giving you is only things that you can learn with your mind. I get that. Now, the first part of knowing Him is then to studying Him in the Scriptures. And as I said before, just like you've studied the Father and the Son. And now Jesus says to them, but you know Him to the disciples. For he dwells in with you and he will be in you. Now, obviously you want to know who's living in you. You know, if, if I invite somebody into my house to come and live with us, I want to know who that person is. I'm not going to, you know, just bring a stranger in and open up the doors. You know, just absolutely, you know, don't know who he is. He could be a serial killer. He could be, I don't know what it is. You know, the world's dangerous place. Now, talking about more than that, for, for somebody to come live in your temple, your body, in you, here, you want to know who it is, isn't it? You're not just going to invite, like a lot of people do, just strange spirits into you. And then, when you invite him into you, you want to know what he's going to teach you. These are good things to know. And that is why we need to study the Holy Spirit. Now, again... I bring you back to Jesus' words. He says, but you will know in, in John 14, 26, he says, but the help of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. You see, this is what I mean. If you're going to invite him in, if he's going to come into your heart to make a dwelling place there, 
Then He's going to teach you all things. Now you want to know what He's going to teach you. And bring you to the remembrance of all things that I say to you. So what is He going to teach you? He's going to bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus said. Now I know He physically spoke here to the disciples. And the proof is there that He did that. Because that's what we call the Bible. The Holy Spirit brought to remembrance all the things that Jesus said to the disciples. And they wrote it in the Bible. But similarly to you and me. You might be sitting in a sermon. You're coming to a situation in your life. And then you remember the words that you've heard in the sermon from the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit brings that into remembrance. And that's how you know the Spirit more and more and better. And He's going to teach you all things. Now, the question is then, how do we know the Holy Spirit? I keep on asking this question. One, you study Him. Again, that can be coming out of an academic study. You open up the scriptures, you learn it, and you see. And when people ask you these questions, you can easily tell them. He's, you can tell him what I just taught you. He's not a wind. He's a person. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You can, you can say that. Now, I can tell you this. Even, even a parrot can do that. If you teach a parrot to, to do it repetitiously, they can do that. That will give you some knowledge of him. But there is another knowledge. There's more. You know, it goes deeper. And this is what we come to now. Is there a way that we can know Him living in us? And the answer is yes. A resounding yes. We know the Holy Spirit, my brother and sister and dear friend, by what He is doing in our lives. Think about that. When the Spirit comes and lives inside of you, when He makes a habitation in you, we know Him by what He's doing in our lives. The Holy Spirit, we see he, the fruit of His works in our lives. And that is how we know the Holy Spirit. And that is also observed by other people. Remember what Jesus said. He's the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Now, this is one of the first identifications of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that is truth. He brings truth into your life. I don't want to go too fast. And maybe if I preach a little bit long today, bear with me. This is an important message. Even if you stop this message, listen to a part, come back. Break it up in pieces. Write down. This is important for you to understand. Now, watch this. Remember, He's the Spirit of truth. And we see evidence of Him in our life. We see how He changed our life. That's how we know Him. In our lives. Now watch this thing. Jesus is truth. Just as we've said the Holy Spirit is truth. Jesus is truth. He said it Himself. John chapter 14 verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus proclaimed and declared himself that he is truth. Now, we remember that the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit will do what? He will bring Jesus' words into remembrance with us. The, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us about Jesus. He's going to teach us about the teachings of Jesus. Who Jesus is and why he came. And that's going to bring truth into our lives. And that truth, my dear friends, is going to change us. And that is going to be the determining factor how we know the Holy Spirit. If somebody then asks you, you can tell them. You can tell them because you've studied the Holy Spirit. But then you can tell them about the proof in your life how you know this Holy Spirit. Let me explain this truth to you. And we're going to go back to the Word now. We go to John chapter 16 verse 7. If I say he brings truth into your life. Three things, three main, and there's plenty, but I'm just going to keep it to this. He says in John 17, 6, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Who's saying this? Jesus to his disciples. He says, It is to your advantage that I go away, him physically. For if I do not go away, the helper, there's the word again, parakletos, comforter, he says, if I, Jesus, physically don't die and go away, he says, <clears throat> if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. This is a promise. This is why we have faith in God. 
Now, what is going to happen now? See this now. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now we're going to break it down. Of sin. Because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness. Because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. And still, I still have many things to say to you. But you can cannot bear them now. So this is what we find. So the question is, is now, is there a way to know the Holy Spirit? And like I've said, it is evident in the works He's doing in your life. I'm going to just use these three things. These three things. The conviction that He talks about in these verses. The word convict here that He uses comes from the word Elenko. Now, Elenko means to tell someone their faults. Now, we don't like that, do we? We don't like it when somebody comes to us and tells us our faults. We're living in a society when, when we want to know how good we are. People need to tell us good things. But here, Elenko now tells somebody their faults. What is the first thing? Sin. He says he will convict you, will tell you your faults and sin. The Greek word here for sin is, is armatia. And armatia is to miss the mark. God's mark is the Bible, is the law, uh, the commandments. And we miss that mark. And but now He will come, the Holy Spirit, and He will tell you the truth about the sin that you are doing. You're right, the sin, your sinful nature. And this is proof how you know Him. This is proof. You know, before... Before this, before the Holy Spirit, you could see no fault in what you were doing and where you were going. You could see no fault. But now, since you've been saved, you feel ashamed. You don't want to go to those places anymore. You see, before He came in, you've listened to no one, no one else except yourself. You just listened to yourself. And, you know, you said, when it feels good, you do it. This is how you lived before. But now that the Holy Spirit abides within you, you listen to the Spirit. And if the Spirit says to you, don't do it, then you don't do it. And the things I used to do, I do them no more. So you ask me, how do you know the Holy Spirit? When Jesus says, but you know Him. Yes, I've, I've, I've learned about Him. But here's one critical factor here. I know Him because I've seen the works that He's done in my life. Convincing, no, no, convicting me. I said that purposely, you're right convicting me, telling my faults, which I always thought was right. I've only listened to myself. And now that he's convicting me, what is happening? I'm feeling ashamed about it. And now I'm confessing it and I do them no more. This is how, this is one of the evidences that you know the Holy Spirit. Is the sins that you do, you do them no more. What is the second thing? He said, He will convict you of righteousness. Because I will go to my Father and will be there no more. The word righteousness here comes from the Greek word, Dikawai Suni. means that condition acceptable to God. Your condition acceptable to God. It talks about your lifestyle. It talks about how you live, your moral living. Before this, you didn't live a moral life. You, you didn't hold on to God's principles. You know, you could do things and just go places like you wanted to go. You lived that life. That was your condition. Your standards of living. This is what it talks to. And you made up your own mind what was acceptable or not. But now, with the Holy Spirit coming into your life, it gives you the proof that you know Him. That, you know, it's not only according to yourself what is acceptable. You are now testing this lifestyle and see if it's a moral lifestyle acceptable to God. This is science. This is proof of the Holy Spirit that you know Him. Your righteous lifestyle. You see, you didn't live like this before the Holy Spirit came into your life. You didn't live like that. Proverbs 15 verse 9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The way of the, the way there means your lifestyle of the wicked. 
is, is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. You read this verse. Before you, the Holy Spirit came into your life, you weren't even interested in this verse. But now you read this verse and immediately in your mind, you ask yourself the question, am I living a lifestyle away of the wicked or of the righteous? Am I pleasing God? See, this is evidence that you know the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul says there's two kinds of righteousness, two kinds. In Romans chapter 10 verse 3, when he talks about the nation of Israel, he says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. It is to these people, it is to them, to you and me, that particular verse, that the Holy Spirit comes and He says, He will convict of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So when Jesus was on the earth walking with His disciples, He was the standard, the gold standard of righteousness. There was no sin found in Him. His lifestyle was perfect he was righteous before God but now he's going to be removed somebody else had to come and give us that acceptable standard the gold standard and now that comes and lives within us how privileged we are but this again is evidence that you know him now let me hurry on and finish with another one judgment he says I will convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And again, the Greek word here is the word crisis. That's where we find our word crisis from. This is what a judgment is. It is, it is a, a crisis because it's a sentence of condemnation. A sentence of condemnation. And if you understand the condemnation that's going to come upon the face of the earth, this is proof that you know the Holy Spirit. This is just the proof thereof. You see, this is knowing that there is coming a day of judgment. And this is also knowing that when that day of judgment comes, that every single person on the face of the earth through all of the ages will stand accountable for every single action that they did. Righteous or unrighteous. This is... This is the judgment that he's talking about. Now, if you understand this judgment and you know that every single thing that you do has got a consequence, then you know that you know him because this is the evidence of what the Holy Spirit works in your life and in your heart. Now, there's a distinction here. There comes a judgment for the believer and for the unbeliever. The believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's also called in Greek the Bema seat of Christ. We find it in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Because our sins have already been forgiven and Jesus Christ has already taken our sins. We're not going to be judged for our sins, but we're going to be judged for the works that we do now that we are children of God. Now that we are saved. Every single work you still do now will be judged. At this beamer seat, the sinners will not appear here. The people of the world, the unbelievers. It's only the believers. 2 Corinthians 5.10, when he speaks to the church, he speaks to the church, not to the world here, Paul. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body while you live now according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There is a fascinating teaching about that. You know, the things that you do as a child of God. But then also the unbeliever will stand before the white throne judgment seat. The white throne judgment seat. Revelation 20 verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose the face of the earth had fled away, and there was found no place for them. Verse 12, And I saw the dead and the small and the great standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. Let it be known today, doesn't matter who you are, whatever you do will be judged. And you will bear the, uh, the consequences. This is why, my friend, if you are not saved, you will be judged on your sin from when you were born until the day you die. 
every single sin you did against God, you will be judged and punished. This is why you need to come to Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf, took our sins upon himself, nailed them to a cross, so that we not be judged for our sins. But now we appear before this, the beamer seat of Christ, where still the works that we're going to do is going to be judged good or bad. You will burn like wood or hay, or it will be purified like silver or gold. This is how you know the Holy Spirit when Jesus says, but you know him because you understand this judgment. Now, once this has been established and he lives in you, you will know him more. Jesus says, I'll pray the father and he'll give you that comforter. He gives it to you. You don't have to pay for it. And when he comes and lives in your heart, he makes habitation. These works will start happening in your life. And people will look at you and they say, surely he, she is a changed man, woman. This is what they'll say. And they will see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But when they ask you, how do you know him? You say, well, I can tell you of the works that he's done in my life. It's not only what I read in the Bible and, and learned about him. It is what he's physically doing in my life. I know him. I know him personally and intimately. He's the comforter that comes in. Now, let me finish off today. That is, that is one way of knowing him. But there's another way that we know him. And again, friends, I've, I've just run out of time. But there's another way. Jesus calls him the comforter. The comforter. And we know him when we understand the comfort that he brings into our lives. We're living in strange times. We're living in difficult times. You know, I'm human like you. I get challenged just like you. I sometimes get myself down, you know, emotionally down. And I sit there in prayer and I say, Lord, I don't know where to go to from here. Uh, uh, Lord, help me. Help me comfort. I need comfort right now. I, I need that comfort. And you know what he does? The Holy Spirit comes and he gives me that. You ask me today, how do you know the, the Holy Spirit? I know him for what the comfort that he brings in my life in difficult times. In difficult times, I can talk about him. I know for myself, before he came in my life, I never could be comforted like this. I try in my mind to work it out. I go see counselors. I talk to people. I talk to my wife, my husband, my child. I talk to everybody. It still is not bringing me comfort. And when he comes in, he gives you that comfort. You go, wow. You know, Romans 8 verse 14. Let me give you one of these comforts that you can hold on to. He says, for our many as led by the Spirit of God. Paul writes to Romans, he says, if you are led by the Spirit of God, which we know now is God, which we now know now is the Spirit of truth, which we know now uh, convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. If we are led by this Spirit, if He lives in us and we walk to, to that, what happens? These are sons of God. How do I know the Holy Spirit? I know He brings all of this comfort in me, but He gives me the comfort that I am a son of God. He said, I'm not an orphan. He said, I will not leave you orphans. The Holy Spirit came. And you know what? He made me, he made, this orphan, He made me an heir, an heir with the Son to the Father. This is the comfort He brings to me. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do we know that the Holy Spirit? He bears witness to me that I'm a son of God. I see the changes evident. I read about him. I studied him. I know him. And now I know I'm a son of God. And you know what he says? He gives us another beautiful promise. And you're right, I'm talking fast now because I don't want to run out of time here. But in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, he says, I will be a father to you. He just said the Spirit, if we are led by the Spirit, we are called sons of God. Now he says it himself in 2 Corinthians, I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. How wonderful. Do you know him today? Romans 8.29 For whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. What does it say? When the Holy Spirit lives in us, he conforms us as every day into the image of his son. He changes us into that image from the inside out. 
And this is all what I've preached about. Everything that I said for the last half an hour, 40 minutes. The, this is what he does. He changes from the inside out. And you know what it is? Finally, brothers and sisters, he brings us that peace that surpasses all understanding. You ask me, how do you know the Holy Spirit? In some of the most difficult and stressful times of my life, there was just a peace that I could not explain to you. There's just that a peace. Just can't tell you what it is. But I can. Because it's the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. Now let me finish with this. Verse 16 verse 13. However, when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you in all truth, for He speaks not in His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me and will make what of mine and He will tell it to you. I, I say to you, Jesus, as words, and I ask you the question. I will pray the Father and He give you another helper that He abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because he neither sees him nor knows him. And here now I'm, I'm talking to you. But you know him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. My dear brother, sister, friends. Do you know him? Do you? If you don't. If you through this whole prayer. If you say, where do I start, preacher? You start by falling on your knees. Crying out to Jesus Christ to save you as a sinner. Confess your sin to Him. That's where you start. And you know what will happen. He will send you this helper that I just spoke about. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank You that You came. Holy Spirit, I thank You for the work evident in our lives. Thank You that You are with us. Thank You that You are comforting us. And if there's any people out there who You know, who've heard this, who doesn't know you, who doesn't know this peace, I pray that you go with them. Bless them and help them in Jesus' name. Amen.